Welcome to Prim and Proper. I'm Elizabeth Hathaway. And I'm Marinella Mazzucato. Well, we are back at it. Non-fiduciary advice from (laughs) Marinella and myself. Um, Because apparently we just had so many money lessons that uh, we had to cut this into two episodes. Yeah. I mean, I know we said we'd report back a week later, but we took a little time in between to really think about our money. Yeah. Although for listeners, these episodes will kind of be back to back. But in reality, we filmed the first episode beginning of February and then life hit us. We got a little sidetracked, but we're back at it. Yes. We are back at it. Um, And I think our goal with this is just, you know, money is not something very openly talked about in our society and certainly not among women. Um, Mm -hmm. But knowledge is power. Uh, I don't have all the answers. As I said, not a fiduciary, not a financial expert of any sorts. Uh, But I have made some financial blunders and I think I've made some smart financial decisions. And uh, I think I just want to be able to share with you, Marinella, and our listeners. Uh, yeah, some of those experiences, because I think it's it's just about getting a little more comfortable with talking about money, hearing about money, just money, money, money. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the blunders, I feel like, are probably things that a lot of people can probably relate to. So whatever they are, I'm sure that I've done either the exact same thing or something pretty similar. Agreed. Agreed. And live to tell the tale. Like, nobody died from it. So that's like, that's the plus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So hopefully, more money, less problems. Uh, But do you want me to kick it off? I always always make you kick it off. Yeah, kick it off. Go for it. Okay. So here is... um, Here is not exactly, this is like semi-related to money, but it's negotiating your salary when you get a job offer. Uh, I used to never do that. Um, I just, I don't know. I had never been taught how to negotiate. I was scared that if I negotiated that they would pull the offer. And I had a whole bunch of worry about that. I'm sure I had some imposter syndrome about whether or not I was qualified to earn more money. Um, and again, oh my gosh, sorry if you were hearing <laughs> sirens in the background. It's not you. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. It's incredible. It is just profound how that happens every time. It is like clockwork. And I've tried to muffle the sound, but I, I do know it picks up a bit on the audio. Um, we are not fancy, not in a recording studio. Uh, we're not that level of money here. So I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting there. You, yeah. You are. You all don't know this, but this is Marinella's first week coming to you from her closet. So if you notice her audio has improved, she is stepping up her recording game. Damn straight. It's about time. Yep. I've been all around the house at this point. <laughs> Um, Well, back to my point, though, negotiate your salary. It's not something I did until recently for a whole slew of fears and just not having knowledge about it. But I've talked to people, friends who work in compensation in HR. And yeah, I mean, the lowdown basically is if you get offered a job, you should negotiate. There is usually space for them to go up a little bit in your offer 
And if there is not, the, literally the worst case scenario is they will come back to you and say, that's a firm offer. That's the best we can do. And then you're still deciding if you want to accept the job or not. Um, they don't pull the offer just because you try to negotiate. Like it's a con, they expect you to, it's common. They're not going to pull the offer. Uh, and, and honestly, now that I have like a little more life experience under my belt, if you actually went through the, um, you know, interview process and were offered a job and then the company pulled the job offer because you tried to negotiate, like you probably don't want to work for that company anyways, right? Peace. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, because they'll, they'll be taking lots of things from you if that's someplace that you actually decide to work at some point. Exactly. Because it is about you interviewing them too. And I know that feels a bit weird and especially like, you know, obviously people have talked about an impending recession and so you don't always feel like you're in a position of leverage, but you don't want to work for a company that would do something like that simply because you tried to negotiate so definitely right. um, negotiate. Is that something you've done before, Marinella? Have you negotiated if you're comfortable sharing? I have I have negotiated and it hasn't been when I was getting hired. It was more so like having a realization that I'm doing a lot more than I might have started off doing or um, the job role has changed and I've asked for more money in hopes that it kind of makes it worthwhile to stay in a position like that um, where you're taking on more responsibility and you know that's something you weigh too like is there enough money that this is going to be worth it sometimes it's not that's like where I'm at kind of in life where yeah you can ask for more money um, but back to this like money is your time is money too like that's the type of thing where I'm kind of what am I negotiating? I want more money or do I want more freedom? Where is it? Where is the line? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good point. It doesn't just have to be when you're hired, but like if your job duties and responsibilities significantly increase, I feel like employers are, they are happy to let you take on more and more responsibility and maybe even happy to give you a new title, but they're not always great at compensating you for the new level of work um and yeah that is you you should be valued um but you know what's interesting you just said time is money and I know we said that a bunch of times on the last podcast but it made me think when I took my most recent position I was actually okay with what they offered me I negotiated more time off because I had come from a company that had like a really crappy PTO policy it was a smaller startup when I had started there and we were just very limited in that way but as we grew we were not given more we had to really fight to get additional PTO um so when I took this new job I that's actually what I negotiated was more vacation time so that's another thing like I I think we always think of like your your paycheck what you're going to make but there are other ways to be compensated from a company too. So it doesn't just have to be, yeah, your your income. Yeah, because you're putting all this money in the bank and then what do you, you can't do anything fun with it. You're just going to be continuing to work and work and work. And then what's it for? That's the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. Negotiating salary is a great financial move and... Don't be afraid to do it. Yeah, 
Don't be afraid to do it. Lots of resources online. I'll link again a bunch of sites like I did last time. Um, but there's there's tons of information about negotiating. Know your value and don't be afraid to ask for it, especially if you're a woman. <laughs> yeah. Additionally, it is proven that walking away from a company um, typically will get you a higher paying job somewhere else. I hate to say that, but that happens. You know, take your life skills elsewhere, get compensated more somewhere else. And that's kind of how people grow. That's how they start making more money. Yeah, agreed. It's not, you know, I think like our, certainly our grandparents, but even some of our parents, it was like common to stay with the same company for decades. But back in the day, it's like you had a pension. And the more you stayed with the company, it got to that pension. And we also... I mean, I'm probably getting a little political for this episode, but we also used to have stronger employee labor right laws and stronger unions back decades ago, and those have eroded some. And yeah, I mean, the the new work environment, you don't you don't necessarily benefit from staying with the same company for a very long time. And I know that's a case by case basis. There might be situations where that is actually still very beneficial to do. But I think for most people, you're right on, Marinella, that like leaving is better for you. You'll probably get offered better compensation um, for the skills that you have. Yeah, not to say leave your job right now. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> right. don't don't quit before you have something lined up. We're not advocating that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, if you've asked for more more money or to be compensated more in some other way and you're hitting a, a roadblock, just know that uh, somebody else will probably give it to you. That just is the reality. So don't give up. What do you got next? What what other life advice? One of my tips is, and I, it took me a very long time to like actually just do this because it seemed like a scary thing to do was to move um, my savings, which I would consider like my emergency fund, like actual money on hand, away from my banking account, like my like physical um, checking account and move it to an online savings account that had a much higher annual return. And I don't know why it took me so long to understand, like, how sitting that money sitting in an account online is just as safe as it is sitting in my bank account online, because they're both banks. It's just, it takes a little more effort to get the money out, which is a good thing, but it just, it just felt like a risk. And there's no reason for me to feel that way, but it did. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't think of that one, but I also some years ago moved my savings account to an online only institution as well. And I think I had a similar apprehension. I don't, maybe it's just like the idea of change in general, Mm -hmm. you know, like the whole brick and mortar bank like you would go there and you would you you know you would knew the people who work there and you'd have your account set up and you'd have your checkbook that you would balance by hand and like so much of that is quickly become outdated like no one needs to balance a checkbook now and banks don't necessarily need to have brick and mortar locations to be able to service people 
and it is it's i think it's just like maybe like fear of change and fear of like being one of the first people to do something differently um but yeah i get a better return rate and it's honestly it's so easy to transfer to my checking account when i need to um it's i mean you do probably have to plan a little bit because it's not necessarily an instantaneous it takes like one to three business days i think typically but like i agree i love it yeah it's a wire transfer and when i initially did the wire transfer from my savings at my bank to this online bank i think i use uh cit bank they have like a four percent interest rate it didn't transfer right away and then I got nervous and then it transferred twice so then I had like twice as much money in there and I'm like wait a minute so then it kind of it then at that point I'm like kind of freaking out I'm like oh my god all this money that I just transferred where it's like in space you know what I mean it's gone (laughs) (laughs) it's all just like in the cloud somehow but it sounds like you doubled your money so again what was that institution you've been using (laughs) CIT bank yeah like I called the lady and she's like oh you have uh I don't want to tell you guys how rich I am so you have x amount of dollars and I was like what (laughs) she's like yeah I was still pending but that's in there I was like that's definitely been like double dipped so I love it they corrected that Um, though I should have shut my damn mouth I was going to say, do we need to edit this out of the podcast so the IRS doesn't find you? Like, uh, <laughs> okay, but it's been corrected. It's too late. You're I was not, too honest. <laughs> you're not on the lam for fraud. Uh, so please don't report Marinella to the IRS. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Um, yeah, I, I hashtag not sponsored by any online banks. But yeah, I like mine as well. Um, and, and the funny thing is, I feel like there's so many more options now. I really keep meaning to like look to see if there is a better option out there because I am kind of a set it and forget it person for certain accounts. And, and my online savings account, which I have as like an emergency fund, I also try not to touch or think about regularly because I don't want to be pulling money from it when I don't actually need to be doing that. Um, but I forget that I should also look to see if there's better interest rates. Uh, you know, it's savings accounts are tough, especially with like the rate of inflation. It's not like you're really making money off of those. You're just trying to like keep it valued at where it's at. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. We're just trying to keep the value there. Um, so that's a good, that's a good reminder for me to also check interest rates out uh, and see if there's a better option. Hmm. CIT bank double your money (laughs) that should be their logo or uh, not their logo their motto (laughs) they'll be like under in a year they'll be like oh my god (laughs) we don't know what happened all the expectations were too high (laughs) we promised too much um okay so my next one is not contributing to match on your 401k so I have done this before and I know everyone's financial circumstances are different and how much your company matches you may not be able to contribute to get the full match if you're not familiar with matching I guess maybe let me take a step back and try to explain this Um, essentially most companies if you contribute to your 401k 
will match a certain amount of your contribution up to a certain percent. So I think most companies match like three, four, five percent um, as long as you contribute out of your own income, three, four, five percent. Sometimes it's like they match 50 percent of how much you can, I mean, there's all, like, there's all these different weird formulas that companies use, but find out what your company is willing to match and try to contribute as much as you need to, to get the maximum match from them. I hope that made sense. Um, it makes sense to me. Okay. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's essentially money that is available to you that all you have to do is invest some of your own money and your company will give you more money to invest. And there is things like vesting schedules. So like if you leave your company before you're fully vested, you might not get all of that money, only part of it. But it's still like money you shouldn't leave on the table, I guess is what I'm saying. So invest in your 401k until at least your match and ideally more if you can. But find out what that is and try to try to get that. Yeah, I mean, the closer I guess you can get to maxing it out, the better. But like, that's it's kind of tough to do depending on how what your salary is. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. But, um, and also after your after you leave a place and it's in the four hundred one k, do we know what happens? That money's still still doing work. It's, yeah, it's still doing work. You can leave it there. Um, you can also do things like roll it over into your new company's 401k, or I think you can also roll it over into an IRA if you have an IRA, which is not connected to a company. So there are, there are some options you have, but you don't like lose the money. Like it's still ultimately your money. Um, you just usually cannot continue to contribute to it because you're not with the company. So that's why I think a lot of people will choose to roll it over to their new company but you should explore your options when that happens there might be reasons you want to just keep it as is there might be reasons you'd rather roll it over talk to a fiduciary about that yeah strongly probably don't want to cash it out if if you don't have to <gasps> no don't hit. do that unless gonna get a hit yeah gonna get a hit you're gonna lose so much like oh just don't do it don't do it unless you absolutely have no other opportunity options in life i would say don't touch your 401k or your ira any of your retirement accounts until you're retired yeah i had a friend that cashed out the 401k and took like a year off and just lived off the 401k money and spent it all to live and then mm-hmm. wasn't familiar with the tax penalty that came mm. later and was like you owe you know x amount of dollars to the irs I had to make a payment schedule for the next however many years to pay the IRS. And then just like, you know, you don't get a tax return for however long and you're paying them and you're still, it just, it just sucks. Don't do it. That's for you youngins that don't know. (laughs) Yeah. That's a real money lesson right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, Well, What's your next one? <laughs> uh, my next one is in regard to travel and credit cards. And I think you do some of this. But there are um, tons of ways to enroll with credit cards in a responsible way that will reward you with, you know, um, 
points towards flights, um, free nights and vacations, things like that. So if you want to travel and you plan ahead enough, you can at least get yourself a few trips a year and pay almost nothing. You know, use those credit cards. You have to get to a certain spend each, however, introductory period for any credit card. And spend it on things that you would normally use a debit card for or use any other credit card for. And you'd be surprised, like, how quickly you can get to that bonus point. And um, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to travelmiles101.com. And I'll give you, like, a whole lesson on all these hacks. Yeah, another great resource. I'll drop it in the show notes. Yeah, I I do think if you are, I agree with you. If you're somebody who can be responsible with credit cards, then you should look at getting credit cards that reward you in the way that makes most sense. Travel cards are a great option. If you're someone who wants cash back, there's credit cards who maximize for that in their reward structure. Like there are, again, there's definitely resources out there to find the best credit cards for what your personal preferences would be. Um, And I agree, like I use my credit card for everything. And then I pay it off in full each month, but I use it for groceries. I use it for, I mean, just any purchases I make. but I think you have to feel confident you can stick within your budget. Like just because you're approved for however much. And this is probably, yeah. again, more advice for the younger crowd that listens to our podcast. Uh, just because you're approved does not mean you should max it out to that. Uh, it should really only be used for what you would normally spend. And yeah, you should ideally be in a position where you're paying it off in full each month and not accumulating. Because the interest rates on credit cards are horrible. I mean, even if you have a good interest rate, it's still like 15% or something. They're bad. Yeah. Just, some of them are like 25. Those ones that they give you in college when you first like get on campus. And they're like, mm-hmm. how would you like to sign up for like a Chase card? Those are the ones where they're like 25% interest. Yeah. And you don't know shit. Yep. You get a little tote bag, a little drawstring <laughs> tote bag. And they're like, have a good day. Enjoy your credit card. And, you know. That was oh, my lesson gosh. I learned. Yep. <laughs> yep. And again, warning, those are not cops behind you. They're cops in the podcast. Damn, uh, they're really close this, this time. Is, it's a lively, yeah, I know. It's a lively night in Chicago, apparently. Um, but the other cool thing about some credit cards, too, because I do have a, uh, I have a United card. I live in Chicago. Uh, United Airlines has a hub here at at our airport so there's a ton of united flights and uh i love it because yeah you get lots of perks with it right just free check bags i get some united club passes so if i get stuck at an airport for a while i can go into one of those little clubs it sounds like it's a night it's just not a it's not a nightclub it's a day club uh sounds like a club to me at 37 thank you (laughs) (laughs) right um, you know, like priority boarding, you know, there's just like little perks you get with it, which is great. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I think mine was the Southwest is what I had for that. And you got like, 
I forget if it was like a, you got to a certain amount of points um, so that you could travel with those points, but then you also got a free companion. So the person I was dating at the time got to fly for free anytime I flew. So. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, for a year. So we took a bunch of trips in one year, completely free for two people, and it was awesome. But it's a one and done a lot of times. That's the only thing. You got to remember to cancel the card at the appropriate time as well, because then you're just going to be paying for a membership and not getting any perks. And that's what they're banking on. That's what they're waiting for you to do is to (laughs) never cancel the card. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's an interesting, like, I would caveat that. This is my personal philosophy. If if it is a membership, like one of those where you have to pay an annual uh, membership to have the card, mm-hmm. I would really look at if the perks are worth it. I think in some cases they absolutely are. Depending how much money you spend and the type of perks you get, it might very well be valuable to you to just pay that membership. And yeah. if so, good for you. Keep doing it. If not, I'm. I agree with you. Do not pay for perks that uh, you won't use or are not of the value that you're paying to have the credit card. But if you have a credit card that does not have a membership fee and it's just like a standard, you get the credit card for free, I would advise to never close the credit card. Yeah. Um, Keep that because, you know, your uh, FICO score, that mysterious score that that tells you your credit worthiness, (sighs) whatever that means, Part of it's based on your, you know, the longevity of your credit history. So um, I still have that good old Chase Freedom card. I got like sophomore year of college. That Damn. thing's like, I know my history on that is long now. But yeah. yeah, I mean, if I had to pay for it, it'd be a little bit different. But because it's a free credit card, I just, you know, you just do like a purchase a month. I set up like my Netflix account on those older cards mm-hmm. and just yeah. uh, keep them open and active, keep them used. And um, yeah, no reason to shut them down. I, I don't know. I guess I closed mine because I had a thing where I was like kind of like a crack addict where I was like, well, I have to spend money to keep this card. I don't feel that way now, but, you know, I've long canceled some of those cards. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it again, this is like know thyself, right? If you're someone that has trouble being responsible with a mm-hmm. credit card, then uh, maybe don't keep a bunch of them around. And yeah, if there's fees, I mean, and you're not using what, you, you know, what perks you get, like don't pay a fee just to have a credit card. That makes no sense. Yeah. And the FICO score is your rating as a human being. <laughs> I think it is. They're I like, mean, ah, I. F- you're. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you're pushing 800. Ooh, you. You're down to 400. I don't even know the FICO score range exactly. You can get down to 400 think- if you want. Yeah. Can you? I know 850, I think, is the top. Um, but yeah. Boy, I, I remember as a kid, I thought SAT score was it. But then you become an adult and you realize it's all about the FICO score. <laughs> I think my SAT score was probably close to my FICO score. <laughs> <laughs> I did get into Although the I... safety school after all. <laughs> <laughs> I took the SAT really... the night after prom. Hello, what the fuck? Or the morning. <laughs> Why would you do that? That was the, I, it was worst the last idea chance. Ever. Was my last chance, and oh, damn it! Oh goodness! Yeah, I got it. I got in there. 
Also, what I love about your joke is that now the SAT score, I think, is out of 2,400, except for, <laughs> yeah, back when we took it was like, it was only out of 1,600. But yeah. I just love that people think your FICO and SAT score are the same. <laughs> Mild brain damage over here. What is that, like the score you get for participation now? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Or maybe it was the ACT. I don't know. I took them all. Took them all. <laughs> I catch them all oh. like Pokemon. Oh my! Um, well, this is shifting gears, perhaps a, a little, but um, don't expect to get back money that you loan to friends. I feel like this is more maybe relationship advice than money advice, but they go hand in hand. I feel like if a friend asks you for money and you give it to them. You should only give it to them if you're okay not receiving it back. And I've never found myself in a position where a friend asked for money and did not give it back. But I've seen this like piece of advice passed down, like sage wisdom passed down from the elders. Um, (laughs) And I've seen it on the internet and I've heard other horror stories from people I know enough to to, like take that into account, Um, especially if you're talking about a substantial sum of money for yourself like whatever that money is only give it to somebody if you're okay never seeing it paid back yeah yeah i mean and you know when you typically know certain people if you're going to give them money you know whether or not you're going to see it back yeah i think you probably do but i think yeah. it's a good philosophy to just if you get it back great perfect but like don't go into it because I think sometimes certain people may surprise you you know Mm -hmm. where like someone that you think is responsible and reliable and would give it back doesn't actually end up I think that's where people that small subset find themselves really hurt you know it's one thing if you give to someone and you know that they're not the type to give it back Uh, but it's like when you think you found somebody that you're okay giving it to and it turns out they don't give it back and they're okay letting the friendship go over whatever amount that was (laughs) yeah 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 i've been there i mean definitely i think i i have always given money with the expectation of not getting it back um so i don't give money to anybody anymore really at all um i think i exchanged Mm -hmm. money with my brother a lot when we were kind of in a like less financially stable part of our lives we were like i don't really want to ask mom and dad can i borrow from you and there was that trust that we were going to give it back to each other mm-hmm. and that's probably the only person i ever did that with yeah well i'm just a bitter only child who doesn't trust anyone <laughs> i probably would have given you some money too liz <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would give a lot of friends money um but again it is very much like if I'm closer to you, I'm probably willing to give you more money. And I just am trying to go into that philosophy in mind that I don't expect it back. I hope I get it back and I may ask for it back, but like I have to be willing to let it go um, before I give it. Yeah. Along the lines of that, I would say... um... If you're going to co-sign on something with somebody. Ooh, yeah. Alone. 
um, a major purchase, just know uh, if that person decides to say, fuck it, it is 100% on you. And if they were to go and declare bankruptcy or, or something, that is not part of it. So when you put your name next to somebody else's name on a ma- like major payment of anything or major loan, um, be prepared to pay for it yourself. Yeah, that is such a good one. I yeah. I sometimes go on to yeah. Reddit and you can find horror stories of people who co-sign for all sorts of very expensive things. You know, vehicles, houses, I mean, all sorts of things that the person then defaulted on it and they were responsible and didn't have the thing, right? Because like with a car, it usually gets repoed, but you still have the car note. You know, that doesn't go away, but the car might get repoed. Um, so it is, it's like a little bit of a sick <laughs> yet enjoyable thing for me to sometimes read uh, the horror stories on Reddit. Like, I feel terrible for these people. And and Walter has just joined the podcast, everyone, if you heard <laughs> he that came in strange full force. noise. He really did. Um, and not to sidetrack us too much, but he's been having some arthritis in his hips. But he's been feeling oh, spry baby. again the past 24 hours. And so I think he's excited to, to be jumping again. Just hope I don't have to use my emergency fund for a hip replacement surgery. <laughs> oh, um, baby, I hope not. <laughs> but yeah, I enjoy going down that rabbit hole sometimes and reading those horror stories. And I think it just like reinforces like do not ever co-sign for somebody. It, yeah, unless, again, you're okay paying for the thing yourself. Yeah, I mean, which is why in most cases parents do it for their kids. Like, um, I remember signing leases for apartments when I was first, you know, moving out of dorms to get into an apartment with four other people, but I still needed somebody to co-sign. Hey, Walter. I wasn't going to ask my roommate to co-sign for me because she already had her own lease. You know what I mean? That's crazy. She's not going to be able to sign mine if I fuck up. But my parents were like, we'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that was a risk for them, honestly. I can't, like, the love of a parent is just, to me, extreme. How do I they? know. I know. And I feel like this advice is, like, it is a little bit different if you're a parent and you have a child that doesn't have any credit, there might be situations which you're comfortable co-signing for. And I think that's like a little asterisk to this piece of advice, because yes, I, I don't think it's, but if you're like an adult and your friend asks you to co-sign, that's a hell no. That's a hell no from me. Um, yeah. I forget, do you watch the Sex Lives, uh, Sex Lives of College Girls on HBO? I watched some of it, but I haven't gotten anything that alluded to that now. Oh, man. So I guess this is like major spoilers for season two. Not super spoilers, but if you're like not caught up and want to, you're like four months behind, so get on it. But um, one of the characters has her scholarship revoked, so she goes to get a student loan, and she needs a co-signer. And so she doesn't want to ask her parents because she doesn't want to tell them that her scholarship was revoked. So she finds herself in a situation of like, who can I ask? to co-sign um so it's just a, a funny storyline how she gets that uh resolved 
I guess I'll leave a maybe not full spoiler. I guess that's a little tease then. (laughs) I'm now promoting HBO shows because HBO needs help (laughs) in their promotion. But it it is a really funny show. I highly recommend it. (laughs) I'm going to check it out. I feel like I'm taking advice from Walter because he's full camera now as well. I know. He is. He you can see him better than you can see me on camera. And I'm really hoping he's he's a very loud and aggressive purr. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if it's picking up on the mic or not. So if you if you do hear a purr in the background, that's that's Walter. Just, you know, trying to soothe your anxiety over money, everyone. Yeah, that helps. Well, I have signed. A co- I have co-signed with a person uh, that I, you know, I thought I was going to marry this person. But I, I co-signed with them on a loan and it started off well, you know, she would pay for it. And then as things started to kind of dwindle, instead of just, like, letting her not pay for it, I was like, well, this is going to impact my life, so I'm going to make the payment. And pretty soon I was making the payment, and then I was making an even bigger payment because I am the type of person that wants to pay things off. And I'm like, oh, this is the person I'm going to end up with. And I just, I paid somebody else's loan, let's be honest. That's what ended up happening. Oh, no. You know, but you do those things, like out of self-preservation almost so i don't know that mm-hmm. i would have done that had my name not been attached which right. may not sound very nice but that's the fact like i was like oh shit i'm going down with this so i need to i need to pay this i mean shit is tied to your fico score and we have talked about this not 10 <laughs> minutes ago <laughs> yeah that is your entire worth as a human being your fico score so uh yeah, yeah, yeah. i get it and at the end of the Ooh. day, I mean, she got, she had one less loan, so it's not like, I don't know. I guess mm-hmm. a good deed was done. Who knows? That's the only way I can look at it. God, he mm-hmm. is being so cute right now. <laughs> I know. Well, he's also probably picking up completely on this mic. And knowing it, we're in audio format, so the adorableness will be lost to poor listeners. Aww. Not for me. Um, yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy it. I guess, though, I did not have this as one of mine, but kind of along the same lines, if you are the child so like if you are the heir to someone who passes away but you're not their spouse you are probably not responsible for any of their debt so before you pay a debt talk sorry let me i was moving walter away so if the audio got weird so before you pay a debt talk to a lawyer because if you pay a debt It's like you're assuming responsibility for said debt. And usually you are not responsible for any debts of a deceased person. Now, a marriage is a little different and you might both be on the same debt. But typically what happens is the estate goes into like a probate period and anyone who has debts against the deceased person can, you know, petition the court and to have those debts repaid and that will be taken from the estate Mm -hmm. but if people don't petition then those debts just get wiped out so you don't want to start paying them you don't want to assume the debts you don't want to you know so anyways that's that's my one piece of advice as somebody that's the experience i had when my mother passed is like talk to a lawyer before you pay any debts because you most likely won't be responsible for them. And there were, there were people who my mother owed money to just like medical mainly, and they did not come after her estate. So like those debts were just wiped clean. 
Okay. That's good to know because I would have probably thought, well, maybe the right thing to do is to pay the debt. Yeah. The more you know. Yeah. I mean, it's an unfortunate thing to have to know, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess if you can, if you can plan ahead enough of, of time, it's pr- probably pretty a pretty good idea to know where your money's gonna go after you pass. I mean, I know a lot mm-hmm. of people don't get to have the time to like plan that type of stuff, but I worked in life insurance for a little while, and some of the cases that I handled were pretty devastating because people's affairs were not really handled with their money. Like a lot of ex-wives still were tied to Mm. policies and current wives weren't or, you know, paperwork was filled out incorrectly or back in the day, people used to come with like life insurance policies and put it like on a a tiny piece of paper and that was considered valid. And it's just stuff like that where know where your money's going to go afterward if you can too. If that's important to you. All right. Now that's that makes a ton of sense. So everyone, when you finish this episode, go research online banks. See if you can find yourself a good uh, interest mm-hmm. rate for a savings account. And check the beneficiaries on all of your policies, accounts, what have you. And uh, just, yeah, make sure it's assigned to who you want to be assigned to. Good advice. Yeah. yeah. Or if it's not a person that you don't assign it to, assign it to a cause. I have no idea. You can do that type of stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Well, I've got one more. I'll make it quick. Um, okay. Budget. I I don't uh, I don't necessarily follow a very tight budget at this point in my life, but I started budgeting in my younger twenties. And it has served me well. It's given me a very good concept of like how much money I'm bringing in, the buckets of areas I spend the money, like housing, food, fun, entertainment, transportation, you know. And um, and it's helped me realize like how I can live within my means. And if I have months that go over that I need to like have a following month that I am under budget and can recoup anything that I overspent on. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend budgeting. I use mint.com. I will link that in the show notes. Um, but there are tons of other resources out there. I just think have some sort of a budget. And the more, like I said, I've been doing this for almost 20 years, you start getting a real intuitive sense. I really only check my budget like once every few weeks to just make sure that there's no like weird purchases that I didn't actually purchase on my credit cards. Because um, I'm pretty good with staying within my means now you mean by check your budget you mean like your like checking account and stuff like that or do you have an actual so yeah i mean with mint um which is they use the same level of security encryption as um all of like the online banks and stuff they're actually owned by intuit which is that like financial security inscription uh basically mint you can link all of your credit cards, your bank accounts, savings accounts, investment accounts, and Mm. it all get linked into Mint. And then they, when you go in there, it auto loads any purchases you've made recently on any of those cards, you know, just updates all your financial information. And then you can set budgets each month and you put things into whatever categories you want to count. 
And so, yeah, that's that's actually what I do. So it is like a budgeting software, but it pulls from all my credit cards, all my, um, you know, whatever. I've been using Mint now for over 10. I think I started using it in 2010, which is kind of crazy, too, because now I have like that whole history, too, which is kind of interesting to like see back multiple years and like you know, how my finances have evolved. So mm-hmm. anyways, yeah. But you don't have to use Mint. Um, there's other ones out there. I forget all. I, I, there's a couple of others. If I can think of their names that I'm aware of, I'll link them. And if you know of any, feel free. Or if you're handy with a spreadsheet, I, create your own yeah. spreadsheets. I don't really. Like, I feel like probably I could benefit from something like Mint because I go to, like, each individual. Mm-hmm card or account and I kind of gauge it that way and I like see what I've spent and basically I multiply that by 12 and think that's that's what I'm spending for the year or something like that but that would be quite helpful to use mint and we're not being paid by mint I'm just saying that <laughs> yeah we're not being paid by any of these people nobody it would be will great. pay us that's yeah. that's our number one money takeaway is that nobody's paying us for any of this shit yet no, I'm still hoping we can get Dr. Teal's because you and I both use them and we recommend them all the time. So I know. Yeah. And it's coming in free... handy. The sun's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> give us some free bath salts at the very least. Um, well, do you have any final ones before we wrap up? Nope. I think that's it. I think that's all the fiducing I can give. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was really good. <laughs> well we will be back next week uh we don't know what topic we're doing yet so uh come come find out with us we'll see you then yeah or send a topic see you then